From 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is John. I'm a pastor here. It's good to be worshiping with you all this morning. How many of you have heard of Billie Eilish? Not bad. If you haven't, just ask your kids. I'm sure they know who she is. She's an 18-year-old, won uh, at the Grammys this year, Album of the Year, Best New Artist, like four of the biggest Grammys she won them this year. Uh, as an 18-year-old, I think she started as a YouTube star, and, uh, but then now she's gone, I guess, mainstream. She has records, deals, and stuff like that. And if you don't know her, she's sort of like um, the dark and brooding version of Taylor Swift. So like the inverse of Taylor Swift, or maybe like a Gen Z version of Nirvana, for those of us who remember the 90s kind of showing us some of the darker underbelly of teenage culture, what it's like to grow up right now. Well, she has uh, one of her most popular songs is called Everything I Wanted. And it's really kind of about what I, th I think a lot of it is what it's about is the last few years where she's kind of just risen to stardom from like making YouTube video musics in her bedroom to now, um, you know, kind of ruling the Grammys. And, um, and so it's kind of this reflection of what it feels like for her to get everything she wanted. This is how the lyrics go. I, I had a dream. I got everything I wanted. Not what you'd think. And if I'm being honest, it might have been a nightmare to anyone who might care Thought I could fly, so I stepped off the golden. And nobody cried, 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 cried. Nobody even noticed. I saw them standing there, kind of thought they might care, might care, might care. And then down a little later, I tried to scream, but my head was underwater. They called me weak, like I'm not just somebody's daughter. It could have been a nightmare. That's what it feels like to get everything you wanted, at least for her. At first, it felt like a dream. But then she starts to wonder if it's really a nightmare. And what she's trying to communicate in this song is a deep spiritual truth about life. There's this paradoxical reality that somehow getting what you want can make your life less good. It can feel like a nightmare, even though you dreamed about getting it. It can feel suffocating, like you're drowning. Does, this Does anybody know what, what this is like? Do you know that, that experience of longing for something and then getting it and then feeling worse after acquiring it? There's like a shadow of this experienced in the common uh, everyday 
experience of buyer's remorse. You know, you, you get really excited to buy something, you save them money, you order it on Amazon. You're like incessantly tracking the UPS tracking code and then it arrives. And like a week later, you like are not even thinking about it. You're kind of disappointed and you're maybe even thinking about sending it back and getting a different one. That sort of buyer's remorse. Can happen on the big ticket items too. You're really, really longing for something. You're, you want it so badly and then you get it and then you're just thinking about the next newer one you want to get and you can't wait to get. It happens, you know, in our jobs. Have you ever longed for a step up at work, a promotion, and then you get it and you realize, ah, I still don't like going to work? Or it's like not too long after you got that and you're already thinking about how maybe you would like to go back to your old job. Maybe you felt let down by your kids' sports, by a friend who you really uh, looked forward to getting to know better, but then uh, maybe they ghosted on you or betrayed you in some way. Maybe you go on vacation because of the Instagram photos about it and then realize it's not so great and you get home and you need a vacation from your vacation. There's so many ways that we've experienced this very simple dynamic where we want something, we long for it, this desire to have it then drives and energizes us and dictates some of the decisions that we make, and then we get it and we're disappointed. And we don't want it anymore, we want something else. This experience is so common that Billie Eilish can sing about it and everybody goes, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And I can see how becoming an international star at the age of 18 might actually feel like a nightmare. And yet, there's a way. We can know this, and we can still succumb to it. Those desires bubble up within us. I need more. I need that. I want that and it can drive us. And the primary way that you and I go after this more, that, that desire that we have, that thing that we need, that we long for, is through the pursuit and accumulation of money. Money is the means that we get everything that we want. And in our passage for today, Paul warns us, not unlike what Billie Eilish is doing, against the perils of making the accumulation of money our primary purpose. He says the love of money is the root, or the origin, or the source of all kinds of evil. What Billie Eilish describes in metaphor and poetry, Paul says very concretely, if you pursue money, if you love money because it can give you everything that you wanted, it will ruin your life. If you're new, we're in the midst of a sermon series where we're exploring some basic steps that we all need to take to grow spiritually. And the caveat I give every single time I preach is that this is not formulaic. You can't like take these seven steps and automatically uh, arrive at enlightenment. It's rather a kind of a set of practices that we have to do and we have to keep doing if we want to keep growing spiritually. It's not formulaic, but these are things that we have to do. So the first week we talked about confess your sins. Then we talked about serve others and consider them better than you. 
Then uh, be still and know that God is near. So it's, uh, we have to sit in silence. And then listen for God. Like if you want to grow spiritually, you have to engage in the practice of listening for God through reading the Bible and prayer. Last week, live in community. This is not something that we can do on our own. We need other people. And today, we're going to talk about how if you want to grow spiritually, you have to practice generosity. And you cannot succumb to the desire and love of money. In our passage for today, we're actually going to be looking at, I just had, uh, our scripture passage was just one verse that Kate read, verse 10. But we're going to be looking at a lot more of what's going on in the entire chapter, chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6. And Paul provides this helpful, holistic framework for how we can think about money. And it goes beyond sort of the, get just simple, you need to give money away. He gives a lot more like theological foundation of like what money is, what life is, where life is truly to be found, what you can expect and do if you don't have money, what you should do if you do have money. He kind of gives this whole sort of theology and framework for how we are to live in this world where money is a reality. We have to live with it. And what do we do with it and how it affects our spiritual life? So the, we're going to take it in three sections. <coughs> Excuse me. A little bit of a cold, I apologize. And the first section is just basic exhortations, and it really applies to all of us, but especially if you're sitting here going, this sermon's irrelevant for me, I don't have any money. Uh, this is especially irrelevant, because sometimes when we are in that place or season in our life where we don't have any money, we can love money just as much as anybody else and make it the orientation of our life. So Paul is speaking to that as well. So I'm going to read verses um, 6 to 10. They'll be up on the screen, but you can also take out a, a Bible if you want. And I'm going to invite you to just be... There, there's so much anxiety around money in our culture. Uh, I, I, I like politics. I listen to a lot of politics. There's so much anxiety about money kind of in all of our political discourse. So I want to just... Let's just hear what Paul has to say, because I think in some ways it's radical to, to everybody in our bar culture. There's sort of a different view and vision of what money is and what we're called to do with money. So if you want, you can just close your eyes and listen, or you can follow along on the screen or in the Bible. This is uh, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. <clears throat> Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. It begins with godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul is pointing out that just take whatever money you have, whatever money you make, and just set it aside. If you are godly, if you practice gratitude, there is great gain in this kind of life. You can have a good life, regardless of how much money 
you have. You can be spiritually rich. Gain life in the areas where it deeply matters by being godly. Recognizing that you can't control circumstances. Choosing to be a godly person and giving thanks for all the grace that comes to you. This is great gain to live this way. And it doesn't require any money at all. So he begins with that. And then he warns you and me, if we cannot be content with this way of life, of pursuing godliness and and, and giving thanks for all the grace that God gives to us, if instead we, we long for more and desire to be rich and pursue it, striving to get everything that we wanted, like Billie Eilish's song, through the accumulation of money, then you're in danger. That is a dangerous way to live. He's warning us. If you're going after money in this way, you're putting yourselves in jeopardy. That desire is the root source of all kinds of evil behavior. Now, he's warning us about this. Now, it's important to note that as he's going through this this section, as he's writing this, He says, but if we have food and clothing. So there's sort of this understanding that this love of money is that desire to accumulate that goes beyond sort of the basic needs for food and clothing. Kind of the basic stuff. And I don't think that's an exhaustive list. I think what he's kind of has in view here is the way that you and I can look to money to meet things, needs beyond sort of the basic stuff that we need to just live in the world. It's like when we go after money to fulfill some deep inner need. Paul is acknowledging the the presence and need of money, so it's like not bad to want to get money so that you can have food to eat. It's not bad to want to get money to buy a house. It's not bad to buy clothes. It's not bad to want to take care of your family. It's not bad to even go on vacation or save for retirement. This is my sense of everything that's contained in this, but if you have food or clothing, sort of this general, like, listen, you know, you got to live in the world. What Paul is highlighting is that soul rot, where something can shift subtly within us. And deep inside of us, we can look at money and having money or making a lot of money and cling to it and think that it says something about who we are. Or think that if we have it, then we can make sure that our future will be okay if we have that money, if we have worth or value. And that subtle inner life shift can be devastating for our spiritual life and for our soul. He says you will plunge, not be in danger, but you will plunge yourself into ruin and destruction. Nothing wrong with making money, living in this world, you know, taking care of basic stuff. But when you start to love money and hold on to it as if it means something about who you are and your identity, then you're in danger of ruin. Here's an example of like just the subtle shift that can happen within us. I read this in a book. (coughs) Pastor writes, I knew a woman who had experienced periods of poverty as she grew up. As an adult, she was so eager for financial security As she passed over many good prospective relationships in order to marry a wealthy man she did not really love. This led to an early divorce and to all the economic struggles she feared so much. 
basic. It's a simple thing, though, the way that she put a, her trust in if you have money, then things will be okay. And the way that that then led her down a path of making decisions that ultimately led to ruin. You notice the way that within you, your soul might want to reach out and grab onto money, having money or getting money, in a way that is parallel to what this woman does, where you're putting some hope or some trust or some belief that money can do something for you, can save you in some way. In Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit God, he says that, you know, you may have a, a, a plurality of people who love money, but they can all love money for different reasons. So he highlights some of the, the reasons beneath why we end up loving money. So one of them is for status. Like we can love money because having money allows us to buy things that give us status. So for some people, having money might mean that you can buy things that make it look like you matter. So you need to have nice clothes or a nice car or a nice bag or nice shoes. And when you kind of wrap these things around you, it feels like you matter. And so you can love money because you can't imagine having to go out into the world not looking like you're important and you matter. You notice what other people are wearing. So that's important. It says who you are. For other people, that may have no interest in a $1,000 handbag. For you, maybe money is power and control. You've noticed that when you have lots of money, you don't feel limited. You don't have to worry about budgeting. You, you just have that power to just make stuff appear with the swipe of a credit card. You like it when people come to you because you have the money, and so they need you to say yes to things. This happens in churches and nonprofits all the time. I've talked to people where there's one person who makes these huge donations to the church, but then they control everything that happens. Or they make a huge donation to a nonprofit, but they say it has to be used for this program. And so the nonprofit is discerned this purpose, and then this person with money comes in and diverts them to somewhere else. And so they're having control over what the nonprofit is doing. That, if that's you, maybe for you, you love money because you love power. You feel okay when you have power. For others, money is security. You don't care about nice clothes. You don't care about a nice car. You don't need power over other people. But you have experienced, maybe in your childhood, you saw some hardship that your parents went through. Maybe your dad lost a job. Or maybe you witnessed your mom go through a divorce and then experience just poverty afterwards. And so you vowed never to be vulnerable again. And, and having a big bank account, it feels safe. Because no matter what happens in the future, you have this cushion of safety. So for you, money is security. So you're, you're attached to that security. So you love money because it provides a security. Others, maybe it's comfort. You want to be comfortable? That's kind of a twin or a sister of security. You like having the nicest things, the things that work the best or the most efficient or the most luxurious. And I'm sure there are other reasons. These are some of the reasons that Tim Keller highlighted. You and I love money for these deeply spiritual reasons. We want to cover over our vulnerability. We want to compensate 
for our felt weakness. We want to be lovable by wrapping expensive things around us. We want to protect ourselves from sin and suffering in the world. When we love money, it's not just because we like the color green or the way it feels in our fingers. It's because of this deep spiritual need that we have for God that then gets displaced unto money. So if we want to be rid of our love for money, which can plunge us into ruin and disaster, we have to figure out how do we notice what that deep need is and then take that to God. And that's what Paul addresses in the next section of our passage. He wants us to discover the spiritual riches that are within us that meet these needs power, control, security, comfort, status. Listen to verses 11 to 16. So he says, kind of, don't do that. Love of money and plunge you into ruin and distraction. And he's writing to Timothy. He says, but it's relevant for all of us. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Instead of pursuing money, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life, true life, to everything. And of Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you, to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. So Paul, in the midst of, of warning Timothy about the dangers of pursuing riches, is pointing up to this other source of riches, and he like is bursting into song over the joy and the glory of what is happening inside, what is available to us in Christ through the presence of the Spirit. He's speaking this mystical language here, of this immortal God who dwells in unapproachable light that you can't see, who rules all. Take hold of the eternal life. He's talking about the spiritual riches that dwell within you. And he's charging Timothy, take hold of that. Instead of pursuing wealth, take hold of the riches that are within you. If you and I want to avoid personal ruin that will surely befall us if we succumb to this love of money, if we go, I want to have everything that I've ever wanted. If we succumb to that that love of money, we can't just go, oh no, I recognize that loving money is bad. I'm going to stop and then just like grit our teeth and clench our fists and try not to love money. That won't work. What Paul is highlighting, we have to find those, we have to find a way to meet the deep needs of our soul. If our deep, if your deep need is for security, you can't just go, I can't have that through money, and then just kind of like pretend like you don't have to respond to that deep need. You have to learn how to turn to God. 
and find the way that God promises to keep you safe in this world. Or if you need status, you can't just go, well, I can't have that through money. I'm just going to like grade it out. No, you have to turn to God and find the way that God gives you status and meets that deep need. Unless we can discover those riches, we're not going to be able to let go of pursuing money and thinking that it can get us what we want and need. So Paul is saying, don't pursue that. Pursue this, these spiritual things. Pursue a rich character. If you, if you were asked, make a list of everything that you've ever wanted. Don't put fancy shoes or cars or homes or vacations on that. Put things like humility. Pursue humility. Make that the goal of your life. Peace. Pursue peace. What do you have to do to go after a character that is saturated with peace or love or endurance or joy? What if it was your mission to become a joyful person this year? Not to get the most amount of money, but to become joyful or to have more faith. These are the things. He's saying, don't pursue that. Pursue this and find it in Jesus. Doesn't really mean you can't have money. Doesn't mean you can't save for retirement or go on vacation or have an emergency fund in case somebody gets sick or loses a job. It just means you don't trust in these things. You don't love these things. You don't make it your purpose. Your purpose is something else. And then the money that you have serves that purpose. You become a steward of those things to do good in the world, to help other people achieve those things. And that's then what Paul talks about in the next section. And he says, okay, so if you do make some money, or if you do have some money, you don't have to just like, ah, no, you, can't. you don't have to do that. You have to recognize that you don't serve the money, that the money serves you. It's a tool, it's a resource for you to use. And you use it to aid you in the pursuit of this other stuff. He writes this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul affirms what he said in the previous section about spiritual riches dwelling within. That's where our hope is. And he says, then if you do have money, just don't be arrogant. Don't think it matters that much. It doesn't make you special. It doesn't make you extra important. It's a tool. Use it to do good. View yourself as a steward of these resources to accomplish good in the world for you, for your family, for your community. Don't think that it makes you grand or important. It's just a tool for you to use. And if you do this, you're laying up treasures in the age to come. Again, this doesn't mean that if you give, then God is going to bless you. And the more you give, the more God's going to bless you with more money. It's just about there's this spiritual benefit of being generous because you're letting go of the way we cling to all these things out here 
All the way that our deep needs get displaced onto things and money, and instead recognizing that that gets met through God's presence within us. And so as we give, we let go of this life and take hold of this life. You are taking hold of the life that is truly life. If you give and be generous, you let go of the way that money can consume us, rot our soul and throw us into ruin and destruction, and instead take hold of and pursue the things that truly matter and find spiritual treasures that are already ours by the grace of God. Okay, so now I want to shift to a few practical things um, about how we do this. So just because there's like how we actually live out this truth. And then we'll be done. So the first thing, I think one of the, the most important points that Paul is making here is just noticing what your purpose is, what's driving you, what your mission is. So reorienting that from some external thing, be it status or security or success or control or power, whatever it is for you, and however money plays a part in that, just like saying, that's not my purpose. Like, I got to work, and I got to do all these things, but my primary purpose is something deeper. And so um, whenever I think about this, like what, like, what am I doing? Like, what's my purpose? Like, I think I have a purpose statement that I write on my rule of life. But more than that, the, actually the fastest thing that I do whenever I think like, what, what is my purpose? What am I trying to accomplish? I think about myself in my like late 80s as I'm preparing to die. And I just think, what, who do I want to be? That's, that's basically, that's my image. Like, what kind of person, like, we're all going to die. We're going to lose everything. We're going to lose our health. We're going to lose family members. We're going to lose our jobs. We can't take money with us. Like, what character do I want to have when I'm 88? I want to be gentle. I want to be humble. I don't want to be fighting aging. I want to be humble and meek. I want to accept the limitations that just keep piling up upon me. And so I want to engage in the work now so that that can be formed in me. That's my purpose. I don't want to do this other silly stuff, trying to become great and status and money and all that in the world. I want to pursue the stuff that transforms my inner life so that my character is changed into a, a person that can face death with dignity and be full of love to the people around me, even as I become less and less important and relevant in the world. So I, so the, so the first practical step is, you know, and we talk about this a lot, but rule of life, you know, rule of life is what rhythms do you engage in that you have disciplined engaged in to help keep the main thing the main thing? Because it's really easy to continually get diverted back to the money or to something, whatever lies beneath that. Okay, the second thing, now in the practice, some of this, you guys, some of you guys know all of this, so just take this as an encouragement. But the second thing, for practical suggestion, we have to live in this world, we have to have money, we have to make money, so have a budget. Like if you don't have a budget, I would encourage you to write a budget. Like intentionality goes a long way, reviewing your budget goes a long way, in terms of just noticing where you're spending your money. My family, we use YNAB, Stands for you need a budget. Um, I think it's, you know, have an emergency fund, get out of debt if you're in debt, save for retirement, and give generously. This all requires budget. I also think like sometimes 
There's been seasons in my life where there's, I felt like guilty about money and like I need to like just give more and I like neglect taking care of my family in certain ways. And I just want to point out that this is, we've been reading through 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives very practical instructions about if you're a widow, you have to work. If you refuse to work, then the church shouldn't support you. So very practical suggestions. And then he says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So like having a budget where you're taking care of your family, where you're taking care of loved ones, like this is normal. This is what it means to be a Christian. This would be very responsible and frugal and take care of people and be generous. But, you know, so, yeah, I can't even say that enough. So then on the intentionality of giving, one of the things that most people who talk about this or practice this recognize that if you're going to do giving, if you haven't done any giving in your past, if you're going to do giving, it's important to, like, make your budget and take it off the top, the beginning, because otherwise if you take, try and wait to see how much you have left over at the end, you know, you don't, you don't get any. And so I know some of you, I won't name people, but some of you have opened up separate checking accounts. So when you get your paycheck, you do the direct deposit, and 10% goes into one checking account, and the rest goes into the other checking account, and you do all your household stuff in this checking account, and this checking account, you, you, you separate it out at the beginning, and then you know that this is all dedicated to just give away to people. That's a beautiful thing. Others, National Christian Foundation, again, same ideas. You give it away, separate it out, and then you can be intentional how you give it away. The other thing I want to just say, these are, this is, I'm trying to just be super practical about this. Um, 10% is sort of the, the, um, the baseline, but like, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule. And I sent this, the Tertullian quote um, earlier in an email. I'm going to read it again. This is from the early church. Though we have a kind of money chest that is not for the collection of official fees, as if ours were a religion of fixed prices. It's like, you don't have to give. Each of us puts in a small donation on the appointed day of each month or when he chooses and only if he chooses and only if he can. For no one is compelled and the offering is voluntary. Just like, like, okay, if you can't give 10% right now, don't give 10% right now. If you're in a season of financial hardship and you can't give right now, don't give. But then also what Clement says, Clement underscored the importance of motive. So it's not he who has and keeps, but he who gives away that is rich. And it is in giving away, not possessing, which renders a man and woman happy. And the fruit of the Spirit is generosity. It is in the soul, then, that the riches are. So we just, again, I always say this whenever I talk about money. This is not something I want from you. This is something I want for you. That when we give, we experience and we lay claim to the spiritual treasures that are within us in new ways. So... You know, 10% is sort of a nice guideline for us to think through, but if you can't get there now, don't worry about it. Maybe work for it. If you can, if you have lots of money, then maybe 10% is a cop-out, and you need to give a lot more than 10%. You know, this is something that we go to the Lord with, and we pray about, and then we do what we can, and we let it go, because we all belong by grace anyways. Paul's point is pretty simple. We have to pay attention to what is happening within us and that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money can lead 
to your ruin and destruction. And if you and I want to grow spiritually, we have to make sure we love the right things. So make your purpose, what Paul is talking about here, pursue these good things as spiritual treasure, and give whatever you can, but just give. Because as you give away, you lay claim to the treasures that are within you. Let's pray. God, would you help us to notice and to desire the life that is truly life? That we might take hold of the spiritual riches that dwell within us through the Holy Spirit and by grace. Open the eyes of our heart, O Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.